the word with us. I was trying so hard not to make you that You tried mistake. so hard, but you failed. It's okay. It's all right. There's, there's grace for you in that. Thank, Thank you. you brother. Thank you very much. Morning, church. Great to see you this morning. If you do have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Philippians. And uh, Pastor Todd, our lead pastor responsible for proclaiming God's word to us on the regular, is enjoying a well-deserved two weeks off. Would you agree? Well-deserved? And uh, he is worshiping down in Niagara with Cheryl, his wife, and, uh, and so glad that he has a chance to do that, and glad that I get to fill in in his stead. And while I was seeking the Lord and praying and wondering what it was that I was going to bring to you uh, this morning, this week, and next, the Lord had me land in the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians is one of, if not my favorite book in Scripture. And part of the reason I think for that is because so much of what Paul says in this letter to the church at Philippi has impacted or influenced our Christian vocabulary. There are so many tweetables in the book of Philippians that it's kind of actually ridiculous. If you don't get that reference, it's okay, you weren't supposed to. So, but this is a phenomenal book. And among the many, many things that Paul talks about here, the key theme that is seen in the words Paul uses and in the tonality of how he writes. There's a key theme of joy here, of joy. Now, what is joy? Well, I think that we struggle to understand what joy really is because we actually don't really see a whole lot of joy in our culture today. What is often passed off as joy isn't actually joy at all. More often than not, it's an emotional response based on circumstance or situation or what we could call happiness. I got a new job. I got a raise. The kids haven't totally destroyed something today. My husband did the dishes last night. I connected with somebody that I haven't seen in a while. So-and-so liked my Instagram post. Any number of things, but let's make something clear. The emotional feeling that you get from all of those good things is not joy, it's really happiness. And there is a difference. While those things aren't bad things at all, and to be happy about those things is a good good thing. The feeling that we get from them should not be confused with joy, because joy is not something that is tied to our external circumstances. Eleven times in the book of Philippians, Paul uses the Greek word for joy, or he uses the the active form of that Greek word, which could be translated today, rejoice. Three times specifically as he writes this letter to the Philippian believers, Paul uses the phrase, rejoice in the Lord. See, friends, this morning, joy is found, we understand that joy is found outside of ourselves. Joy is not something attained, it is something received. It is not temporal feelings of happiness, euphoria, or pleasure. Joy is supernatural delight found in and founded on who God is and what he is doing. Where happiness is an emotion based on experience, joy transcends even emotion. It transcends experience. It is not fleeting here today and gone tomorrow, but it is as steady and as sure as the one that joy is found in. Joy is a delight that fills and consumes your life. 
that comes from something that is completely apart from this world. And as believers, followers of Jesus Christ, who claim to have the presence of God in our lives, it should be that we are the most joyful people in the world today. It should be that you can tell who loves Jesus by the words they use, the actions that they choose to do, their attitudes, their perspective on life and everything that is involved in it. But far too often, that's not the case, is it? It's an unfortunate truth, but it is true, and believe me, because I'm one of those people. Why is it that we struggle with joy? should be that we experience that supernatural delight in the things of God, in the good, the bad, and the ugly of our lives. When there is blessing and success and growth, there's joy. When there's hardship and difficulty physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, certainly. When there is discipline, when the effect of sin in our lives is very evident, it should be that there is still joy. My prayer as we study these words written by Paul, who was in prison, experiencing difficulty in his life as he wrote about joy, my prayer is that the Spirit would move in us to unleash joy in our lives in the midst of whatever circumstance you find yourself in this morning, this week, or in the months or years that follow from here. So what we'll do now is we'll read the passage together. We'll get into God's word, Philippians 1 verses 1 to 11. I'll pray for us and then we'll unpack the first area that we should be experiencing joy together. Philippians 1, starting in verse 1, follow along with me as I read. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bow before you in this moment, Father, to recognize our need for you. We come in this morning bearing burdens, bearing difficulties, hardships that are too big for us to bear. We come in this morning feeling and knowing all too well the effects of sin in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that as we stare into your face, as we get your word open in front of us, that you would instruct us this morning, that you would teach us. Father, that you would encourage and lift the head of the downcast, knowing where joy is to be found. 
I pray, Father, that you would challenge and rebuke those in rebellion and running away from you in light of the fact that in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that is where we can only, that is the only place we can find our true joy. Father, I pray for all of us this morning, we would get a greater sense of who you are. As you teach us from your word, may your spirit move to show us the areas of our lives that are not aligned with you. And Father, in all of this, we pray that you would unleash the joy that is found in you in our lives. May it unite us together. May it bring us to greater effectiveness and efficiency in the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are diving into uh, this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. I would encourage you, if you have time in your, in your Bible reading this week, to spend time in Acts chapter 16, which is where we see a detailed account of how the church at Philippi was started. The phenomenal way that God moved and worked so clearly to bring the gospel uh, to the believers there. I'd encourage you to take a look at that. It is pretty fantastic. But what's clearly evident, even in the first few verses of Philippians, is that there was a partnership in mission and ministry between Paul and the Philippians that was founded in the unity that exists in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is great joy to be found in our gospel unity. And in a world today that is seemingly more connected, not even seemingly, is certainly more connected to one another than ever. It is actually the case that we are living in a society that is more isolated from mankind than ever before. The connections that we're able to make with people across the world aren't even really connections at all. For followers of Jesus Christ, we experience a connection, a bond that is something particularly special in the world today, and that is the gospel partnership that we share with other followers of Jesus Christ. And in the gospel, there is unity, and there is great joy to be found there, which is the first way that we see that there can be joy unleashed in our lives is when we understand that we have a gospel partnership with one another. And what we'll see this morning are four key areas of unity that come through our gospel partnership. And hopefully and prayerfully, we'll see that there should be reason for us to delight greatly in what we understand the gospel to unify us in. So see this first. I experience great joy when I see that we are united in promise. United in promise. And the gospel partnership that existed between Paul and the Philippians moved Paul to, check out verse 3, thank my God in all my remembrance of you. In every prayer of mine for you all, I make my prayer with joy because of your, here it is, partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The Philippians had engaged in an active partnership with the Apostle Paul who had the mission and mandate to proclaim the gospel to the world. Later on in chapter 4, Paul would explicitly thank the Philippians for sharing with him in the trouble that he faced as he proclaimed the gospel and for financially supporting him generously as he went on mission. What's evident is that the Philippians were bought in. 
They were sold out for the mandate that Jesus had left for us. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, you know it well. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Paul was on mission in that. The Philippians were on mission with him in that. And it's evidence that the faith that they had and the partnership that they had engaged in changed their lives as they continued in obedience to what Jesus had called them to, specifically where your treasure is, there your heart is also, which Jesus says in Matthew 6.21. They gave of themselves sacrificially to the mission. They laid themselves down on the line in this way, knowing the importance of what it was that they were engaged in with the Apostle Paul. And because of that, their faith proved genuine. By their works, because of, the, of their fruit of their faith, their faith was evident. But not only evident, it was genuine. Paul had confidence that they were not only united with him in the faith that they shared and united with him in proclaiming the gospel, in fulfilling the gospel partnership that they had, but, but Paul was also confident, and we can be confident as well, in verse 6, that, that they, had, they were united in the promise of God. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to, the, to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel partnership that the Philippians were engaged in, they were also partnered in the promise that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that promise is the work that God started in making a way for us to enter into restored relationship with him was accomplished and finished when Jesus Christ declared it to be so. When on the cross, Jesus, as he breathed his last, declared, it is finished. So our salvation was secured in him. The forgiveness found at the foot of the cross was secured in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But on that day that you enter into that forgiveness with him, on that day when you enter in and receive the salvation that comes from him, we understand that, that on the cross, our sins are placed on Jesus as his righteousness is given, imputed to us in the great transaction. In that moment, God begins a new work. And that work in us is to make us more and more into the image of his son, which is something that we'll talk about a little bit later. But the promise here is that God will do the work that he desires to do in our lives. God will do the work of making us more and more into the image of his son. And God will complete the work on the day of Jesus Christ. When the new life and the hope of the promise of eternity with him that is found in the new life Jesus Christ himself experienced when he burst forth from the grave is realized for you and I. On the day that Jesus comes bursting through the clouds and every knee bows before him, we are ushered into the presence of God. The day that we stand before him and enter into his presence for all eternity, where we will experience the potentially most beautiful picture of anything that we can ever see that is detailed so incredibly in Revelation 21. Listen to this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. That's the promise we have in the gospel. Follower of Christ, loved one of God, that is your promise won for us by Jesus himself. That is the promise given to you by the one who keeps his promises. And that promise that we share together should unite us together. And in that unity of promise, there should be joy. I hope your heart overflows at hearing the words of Revelation 21. I hope in hearing what it was that was achieved for us, what it is that we get to look forward to with this life and all of its hardships and difficulties and pain and hurt, I hope that brings you such joy. Every so often, I feel as if God gives us little glimpses into what this is going to look like. I feel as if when we experience the presence of God, whether it's in worship, whether it's in opening of his word, whether it's in prayer, service, whatever it may be, God gives us a little bit of a taste of what it is that we'll get to do for eternity. As a leadership team at at Harvest Youth, we've been praying desperately that the Lord would move to open up the hearts of our students in worship. That they would understand what it is they're declaring, that they would make it their own, that they would take ownership for what it is that we do here as we proclaim the truths of who God is, as we elevate and lift the name of Jesus Christ high, we've been praying that we would see some movement in worship in our students. This past Tuesday, somebody snapped a picture without me knowing and sent it to me afterwards, and this was the scene in worship on Tuesday. Students in grades 6 to 7, or 6 to 12, with their arms high, lifted up, praising God for the fact that he has risen Christ from the grave. Three months ago, there wasn't even a pulse in the room in worship. But God is doing something amazing. And in that moment, the presence of God was so tangibly felt. And that picture brought me to my knees in thankfulness and joy to the Lord for what he is doing. Certainly what we experience here, what we just had the opportunity to do as Worship was amazing this morning, amen? As this picture and what happens on on Tuesday nights in worship is such a fantastic thing, it doesn't even come close to what we're going to get to do in eternity. It is but a momentary blip of a glimpse of what it is we'll get to do as we stand in the presence of God and worship and praise Him and give Him the glory and honor and praise that He is due for the rest of our days. 
We are united in the hope of the promise of God's work. But not just God's work, God's work that will be completed. And in that promise, we have great joy. And while we await the full experience of that promise, it is necessary that we remain fully committed to living our lives here as we wait for that, for the glory of God. Which leads to the second area that we experience great joy in that we are united in purpose. We are united in purpose. Take a look at verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all in terms of his thankfulness and his joy in the partnership of the gospel that they hold. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. See, Paul's joy and thankfulness to God for their partnership is warranted because of the unity that they have in fulfilling the gospel purpose. In serving the Lord as he calls them to, which is an aspect of God's grace for us. To have the opportunity to be used by God. Do you understand that? God uses us, human beings, with our frailties and our weaknesses to advance his mission here on earth for his glory. That is an aspect of God's grace and goodness to us that he would allow us to partake in that. And what the Philippians and Paul had undertaken in their gospel purpose was twofold, we see here. First, understand this, that Paul's imprisonment is indication that in pursuit of gospel purpose, suffering will come. We need to be willing to lay it all out on the line. The remarkable statement here is is that Paul views his current situation of being imprisoned as another aspect of God's grace. He's facing charges that could lead to his death. He is awaiting trial before rulers and all the anxiety and worry and lack of understanding of what is to come that would come with that, not to mention the difficulties that come with being imprisoned at that point in time. But to him, this was something that God had ordained and so there was purpose in it. Like Peter and John in Acts chapter 5, Paul considered it a blessing in that they rejoiced when they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. The perspective he had was that the charge to endure hardship for the gospel was a blessing as Jesus himself declared it to be in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecution, opposition, suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ is evidence that you are doing something right. For Paul, it was confirmation that his faith and the purposes that he was pursuing were in alignment with what God desired for him. And so in light of that, as we face opposition... If the time should come that we face persecution for our faith, our perspective should be 1 Peter 4.13, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When you rejoice in suffering, as evidence of your faith, that is evidence of your commitment to the gospel purpose. But in that, God's glory is revealed in you and in the people around you who see that. 
Second part of this is that his imprisonment had an even greater purpose than just that. Because in suffering for the gospel, there is an opportunity for God's glory to be revealed in how you proclaim the gospel in the middle of that. Paul is called to defend and confirm the gospel. While he individually was standing trial for his faith, make no mistake, the gospel was on trial as well. And how Paul conducted himself, the witness that he bore in the words that he spoke, would confirm and be consistent with what he proclaimed. Paul's present situation presented an opportunity to advance the good news of Jesus Christ in the world and to give us a solid example to those in his care and oversight of how to remain faithful to the mission. Which if you read even further down in chapter 1, verse 13, we read, So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul and the Philippians were united in this purpose. And as Paul gave them a God-honoring perspective and example of suffering and set the good, godly example that he did, he affirms and encourages and challenges his brothers and sisters in Christ to remain faithful to the purpose of their lives that they too had in Jesus Christ. See, we are united together in the purpose that we share as followers of Jesus, which is to proclaim the gospel to the world around us to bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ in all that we do and to glorify God in that no matter what. We as the body of Jesus Christ are commissioned with the mission and there is an unbelievable and particular joy that comes with standing arm in arm with your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a particular joy that comes in willingness to endure whatever suffering may come in our lives for the sake of the gospel proclaimed and to boldly bear witness with our very lives to the truth of Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and raised to glorious life three days later. Knowing that in fulfillment of our gospel purpose, we are guaranteed a promise of what awaits us on the other side, no matter what we face here. You see, we are united together in our greater purpose of proclaiming the gospel to the world, and that is an incredible thing. One of the things that I love so much about being in ministry, specifically in this church and in this city, is the opportunity that we have as as a church and as church leaders to partner with other like-minded churches in our area. And while ministry philosophies may differ while while we may do things that Conexus won't do or Emmanuel or Mapleview won't do while they would choose to do things that we wouldn't do we are united in the greater purpose of proclaiming the gospel to the city of Barrie and Simcoe County I can personally attest to the great joy that comes from sitting with these fellow leaders and fellow believers that would make a different church home than what we would but to have the opportunity to encourage and spur one another on, to share ideas, to be able to pray and work alongside one another, there is such joy. Certainly when it comes to partnering with other churches, we need to major on the majors of what truth is, of what God's word says about those things. That's that's for sure. But listen, we can minor then on the minors until the cows come home. 
Yes, I'm under 30, and I just use that phrase, all right? (laughs) The greater thing here is that we are united in purpose. And in fulfillment of the gospel purpose, there really is no room for division or dissension because it only betrays our message and detracts from the unity that should exist, that should exist by our common purpose. These first two things that we've discussed this morning come naturally with our faith. If you love Jesus and want to follow him, these two things, your promise and your purpose, are you, you are united with other believers who love Jesus and want to follow him in this. It's just natural. We are united in the promise that we have and the purpose that we are called to fulfill. And it's because of these things that Paul expresses his thankfulness to God as they were united with him in the promise and purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in these things, there is great joy to be found. I hope you feel that here. I hope you feel that as you sit in the room and spend time worshiping with other followers of Jesus Christ. I hope you feel that as you meet with your small groups throughout the week as you seek to come alongside and encourage one another, I hope you feel the unity that comes from the gospel partnership that we have. And I hope you experience great joy in that. As you serve the Lord on the serving teams at this church and elsewhere, I hope you feel the unity that comes from the gospel partnership and the joy that comes with that. But these next two areas relate more to our conduct with one another as we seek to live in the promise and purpose that God has set out for us. So see this next, I experience great joy when I see that we are united by love. United by love. We see the heart of Paul on full display here in verse 8. Take a look. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Do you see the bold statement that this is here? Paul is essentially declaring an oath, essentially saying, God is my witness. I stand before God and can honestly tell you how much I love you and long for you. And the extent of his love for them is that he does so with the same love and affection that Jesus has for them. And we understand the love that Jesus had for the Philippians and the love that Jesus has for us is what sent him to the cross. This is a bold statement Paul makes here. But that's the love that exists between them. Paul cares for them as Jesus does. And the reason he's able to do that is that Paul's heart is so intertwined with Jesus' heart that it's just natural for him to care about the Philippians and for the Philippians in the way that Jesus does. One commentator described it as Paul's pulse beats with the pulse of Christ and his heart throbs with the heart of Christ. Because Paul was so rooted in Jesus, so committed to following him, his heart longed for the good of the Philippian believers in the same way that Jesus Christ's heart longs for those who love him. And that's evident by the nature of his requests to God on their behalf in prayer. Verse 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Not that it would just be abundant in you, but that would be abundantly abundant more and more with knowledge and all discernment. 
When asked what the greatest commandment is, Jesus said in Mark 12, 30 to 31, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Love is the defining characteristic of the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. Sacrificial, you before me kind of love is what's on display here. If we are going to abound in love, it starts by getting our minds fixed on the person and work of Jesus Christ and viewing others the way that he does. Love is the mark of a follower of Christ and is the defining characteristic of a life that's been changed by Jesus. And a lack of love toward one another is divisive in the church and devastating to our mission. Not only that, but a lack of love experienced or a lack of love produced to other people robs you of the joy that would otherwise come in a unity of love. A unity of love, true Christ-like love, invites people into the body of Christ and invites those outside of it in as well like moth to a flame. We have a responsibility to be that light for other people. In a world so terribly confused about what love is, the church of Jesus Christ stands as the beacon on the shoreline of God's love to a world that so desperately needs it. It should be that the love that we have for one another guides others to the truth. It should be that we have genuine heartfelt care and concern for one another as the new believers in Acts 2 did in that they had all things in common. They were willing to sell off their own possessions, their own land to be able to care for those who were in need. Love is not confined to that specific example, but it's that we would be willing to lay ourselves on the line for others in love and care for them. Out of a recognition that doing so advances the purpose that we've been called to. Because out of a unity of love comes God working incredibly. As was the case in Acts chapter 2. That out of their great love for one another, God multiplied them in number day by day. Our unity of love often, albeit imperfectly expressed, but committed to, growing in, seeing it occur abundantly as Paul desires in Philippians will have incredible results. I'd encourage you in your small groups or in your time in God's word this week, spend time in 1 Corinthians 13. Incredible definition of what love is. Maybe so that that kind of love exists in unity in our church and in our lives. Because you see, my fear is that we've become comfortable or complacent in our expressions of love. The call of Christ-like love is radical. It's meant to move us to greater depth of relationship with one another and greater depth of relationship with God, our Father. It's meant to push us outside of our comfort zones. It's meant to push us to care for other people that we would not normally care about. 
It pushes us to welcome new people into our church with love or into our small group so that we can facilitate the growth of the church that God wants to have here. To serving in whatever capacity God has gifted you to. To sacrificially pour yourself out for the good of another. To giving generously to the mission. To walking with those who are hurting even though it might take a little bit from you. To putting yourself out on the line, even if it means that you might get stepped on a little bit. Please don't see this as a condemnation from some 20-something delusional. As we as your church leaders and staff see you faithfully loving others. And that's amazing. And we're thankful to God for it. Again and again. But it would be a great tragedy if I or we as the church felt like we had arrived at this. Or to embrace the notion that somebody else will take care of it. We are stewards of God's love in this world. We are tasked with sharing it at the end of verse 9 with all knowledge and discernment. David Garland, Bible commentator, described it in this way, Christian love is not blind or mindless, but it is to be expressed with careful watchfulness and intentionality with the result of verse 10. Take a look. So that you may approve what is excellent. Here's the fourth thing. I experience great joy when I see that we are united by change. We are united together in the work that God wants to do in transforming us into the image of his son. In our growth of love for God, for who he is, for those around us, for what his word tells us, in our growth and ability to approve or practice what is excellent or proper, God is glorified and we are united God wants to do the work of having our lives become increasingly fixed on him and bringing glory to his name with the end result being what we read in verse 10 so that we would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness. In change, it's not that we should experience spiritual perfection here on earth. We recognize that that is reserved for what we've talked about already, the promise that God will complete his work in us at the day that we see Jesus Christ face to face. But it is that we are growing in our likeness to Christ. Growing in the process of sanctification in our lives, of becoming more and more like Jesus in our pursuit of godliness and in our ability to live it out. God will do the work of growing us more and more into the image of his son if we bring our willingness to be changed and our faithful obedience. This work of change that we're going after in our lives is a divine human cooperative. We bring humble hearts, willing to be changed, recognizing that change comes only through God working in us, willing to be molded into the image of Christ that God desires for us to be in and to be in and he works in us to bring about the fruit of righteousness verse 11 that comes through Jesus Christ with God's end goal and hopefully ours as well being that we would live for the glory and praise of God 
We are united together in the change that God wants to make in our lives. It's a process that we are in together. To borrow the Old Testament imagery for a moment, Jeremiah 18, God is the potter and we are the clay. Being molded day after day into the image of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we do that together. None of us have arrived at this. Nor will we arrive until we are face to face with Jesus himself. Therefore, none of us is greater than the other. Some of us are just a little further along in the process than others. That was an old joke. And it's supposed to be funnier than it was, apparently. <laughs> See, in the gospel partnership that we're a part of, we are all in the process of being transformed, of being made into the image of Jesus Christ. So we strive to that end together striving side by side with one another to the promise that we've received in Jesus Christ, living to glorify God in the fulfillment of our purpose of sharing the gospel by conducting ourselves with love and grace in the pursuit of approving what is excellent in our lives. Working with one another to get closer to that end goal, the glory and the praise in all things to God the Father. This is where our uncommon community comes in. This is where what we're seeking to build here in our church, in our small groups, in the fellowship that we have with one another, this is where it comes in. In being open and authentic and transparent with one another, we let others into our lives to help us in the unity of change that we are seeking to go after together. We are a church filled with messed up people. Any messed up people in the room this morning? We are a mob of misfits seeking to walk with each other, united in commitment to wanting to and seeking change in our lives with God's word in front of us, his spirit working actively in us, growing in our understanding of what is excellent and how to approve of it with the gospel truth as our guide, grace and love as our attitude inviting others to come along with us as we struggle together for the glory of God. In our gospel unity, there is great joy. We are united together as the body of Christ in the promise and purpose that comes inherently with putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And the joy comes in knowing that you don't have to do this alone. But as we express love and care for one another and work together for the change that God wants to do in our lives, there will be joy no matter the circumstances. So if that time should come that we face persecution for our faith, should the time come that we face opposition as I know so many of you are, should the time come when mental health crises come in our lives, when sickness that can't be erased or we endure all kinds of hardship, whether a result of our struggle against sin or not, joy can be found in the partnership that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ with one another. Let's pray. God Almighty, you are good to us. Father, we thank you first for the gospel. 
for the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect, sinless life, completely undeserving of punishment, but took it for us. Made a way for us who were once far off to come near to you, to enter into relationship with you, and to receive the promise of eternity that is found in the defeat of sin and death in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, may it be that that never grows dim in our lives. That we never grow tired of hearing that truth. And may a greater understanding of that move us in activeness to the purpose of proclaiming that good news to everybody we come in contact with. May it be, Father, that we as a church, as a body of believers, are so united in this purpose that we encourage and challenge one another by our examples. Father, thank you for the unity found in love. First, in the love that we experience in your eyes through your son, Jesus. Then in the love that we have for one another. And may it abound more and more, we pray, Lord. May this place, from the moment guests walk in, be a place of love for one another that is rooted and grounded in our love for you. Father, may this be a place where we are humble to recognize that none of us have made it yet. We are striving together. May this be a place of grace, of love, of passionate pursuit of change from one degree of glory to another. May we strive together with one another with truth as our goal. All of this, Father, for the glory and the fame of your name. May you do it. Would you do it? So that as we grow in our ability to experience joy no matter what, we may be more effective and efficient in the purpose that you have set out for us, and we may be more effective and efficient at bringing you the glory that you alone are due. We thank you, Father, for this time. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.